welcome to the Everyday Extraordinary Podcast, where every week I interview a different amazing person who will share about their life journey and the lessons they've learned along the way. I'm excited to share with you everyday people living their lives with purpose, perspective, and positivity. And my hope is that in hearing these stories, you'll view your own story as extraordinary too. I'm Jessica Dahlquist, your host, and I am so excited to get started. Thank you so much for being here. Hello, welcome back to the podcast. I decided to drop this episode a little early, so Merry Christmas. We're in season four of the podcast, and you might have noticed we've got a new name. This is the podcast formerly known as Extraordinary Moms Podcast, yes, <laughs> and now we are Everyday Extraordinary, and I am so excited about this new title because I hope the stories will be more all-encompassing of people from all walks of life, all different types of journeys. Yes, I will still have motherhood journeys featured, but more than that, I will have other women who are not moms sharing their journeys, men doing extraordinary things in their lives, living out their purpose. I just think it's going to be more inclusive and just bring in a wider audience of people looking for inspirational stories. You know, in this day and age in the media, there's just so much we're bombarded with that just brings us down. Let's let Everyday Extraordinary be a place that lifts us up. And I promise to bring you extraordinary guests every single week that are just going about their everyday lives living extraordinarily. And I'm so excited. To get started, this is episode one of Everyday Extraordinary, and I'm featuring my very good friend, Lena MacArthur. Lena is an extraordinary mom of two. She has cystic fibrosis, and she is currently in the process of working towards a lung transplant. She has an extraordinary story. Her past year especially has been especially trying, and she's going to share about her life's journey with that disease and about being a mom all the while. Also, stay tuned to the end of the episode to find out how you can support Lena's family in making a lifelong dream come true. I want everyone to be a part of it, so stay tuned for that. Let's get to it with my dear friend, Lena MacArthur. All right. I'm so excited to be chatting with my dear friend, Lena. Hi, Lena. Hey. How's it going? It's good. How are you? Good. You are my maybe third in-person interview, I think. Other than that, I do it over Skype. So hi, it's nice to have you next to me. It's so good. Well, Lena and I have been friends for the last two years. And when I found out more about her story, and I mean, aside from me just watching her be an extraordinary mom, I've just been so wowed by her bravery and courage over the last um, few years in her battle with cystic fibrosis. So first, Lena, though, will you just give a little background on yourself and your family? Sure. Um, my name is Lena, and I am the mother of two amazing kids, um, Quincy and Aiden. Quincy's 12 and Aiden's 10, and I am a military wife. Um, my husband is in the Army National Guard, and I get to um, have the opportunity to work with his unit as the Family Readiness Group advisor as well, so I love it. That's awesome. Doesn't being in the military give you a whole different perspective and appreciation for like being a citizen? It really does. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so grateful. I mean, Pete's out <clears throat> now, but I just am so grateful to have had that segment of my life where I got to be exposed to families that really understand a whole different level of sacrifice than the average totally. American. And yes. Steve's been deployed, hasn't he? Uh, yeah, multiple, yeah times, multiple times. And he just got back from helping to... Um, with the know. fires. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not fight the fires, but um, he was um, able to fly his drone over the affected areas and um, help them find hot spots and um, assess damage. So, wow. It was, wow. Yeah. 
everybody plays a role. Like, it doesn't have to be that you're the one on the hose, but yeah. everyone plays a role. Wow. So we're just going to kind of fast forward to more recent years, but you were not diagnosed with cystic fibrosis until you were 29, and that's really yeah, unusual. It is, isn't it? yes. Did you have symptoms growing up, or did. why did it take so long? I'm not sure how long, why it took that long, but... I did have um, symptoms since I was a baby, but it wasn't severe enough that it triggered any red flags, and I just got misdiagnosed my entire life. I always was getting pneumonia. I was always sick. Um, had some, I don't know, other little things that wouldn't be like a huge warning to CF, but um, enough little things that I was sick all the time, and then finally... Um, I was sitting in my allergy doctor's office and she said, you know, Lena, you have, I see you way more than I see any of my other patients. You're sick all the time and I think there's something else going on. So she started doing all this testing and then one day she had a fellow working in her office and he said, you know, I just got back from a CF symposium and I think you have CF. (laughs) And I was like, no, I'm not a kid. Like, what are you talking about? I'm already 28. And he said, no, I really think that, I think you have it. So I went to the CF clinic in San Diego and um, they did all these labs and it showed that I was just a carrier, but the doctor was convinced that I had it. So they sent my blood to Johns Hopkins and a year later um, they found my second mutation and it's super rare and that's why it was kind of skipped over all these years, so... Wow. And something unique about CF that I've learned is that CF patients can't be around each other. Yeah. Which is bizarre. <laughs> Especially it's, having a sister with CF. And your sister, and she wasn't <laughs> diagnosed, and so you were diagnosed, and I then... I was officially diagnosed at 29, okay. and then two years later when she was 29, she was diagnosed too. And she had similar symptoms growing up? Actually, or less no. Severe? She had more um, GI symptoms. Okay. She would get stomach aches all the time, and we weren't really sure why, and... My mom just kind of thought she was faking it sometimes. Yeah. (laughs) And then um, we found out, and when I got diagnosed, we found out that that she was getting pancreatitis, and that was what it was. And um, her lungs are, like, she still gets sick a lot, but they're at a higher capacity than mine. So. Wow. Yeah. And so do you have to do anything special when you're around your sister? Um, We shouldn't be in too close of contact and um we are supposed to be wearing masks Uh and then i know not sharing food and all that kind of thing technically we're not supposed to be like close at all we have to be six feet apart masks and gloves when we're seeing other cf patients Mm -hmm. um so yeah we have to be extra careful Wow. 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 <laughs> and so I bet that just came as a total shock, especially because you already had two kids. Yeah. And I mean, pregnancy does a wonder on a healthy person's <laughs> body. And a lot of times CF patients are not advised to have children. Yeah. And so knowing that you already had two and everything, I did you kind of marvel at your body's ability I really to did. do it? Yes. I mean, that's amazing. I feel like I'm super blessed. It was almost ignorance is bliss. Yeah. I didn't know to be worried or nervous about it. So I wasn't, and I went in to my pregnancies super optimistic and excited and just happy to be a mom, and it never occurred to me that um, it could be a dangerous thing for me. Mm -hmm. And both pregnancies were successful, but they were 
not without problems. Mm-hmm. But you did not attribute it to nope. CF. I didn't. Oh, <laughs> Looking my. back now, that was totally what it was. But Well, yeah. Yeah. That just blows my mind. And so to kind of fast forward, obviously your life dramatically changed in and out of hospitals and IV treatments and you kind of became an expert very quickly. Yeah. Since I was diagnosed, I've been admitted 12 times to the mm-hmm. hospital um, just in the last five years. And then um, last, I guess, just January is when kind of my lungs took a dive and yeah. yeah. So yeah, let's fast forward to this last January. This has been the most heartbreaking year to watch for you and your family and just, I've had a front row seat at the level of love and prayers that have gone into just loving your family and loving you and praying you back home and cause you were gone most of the year. Um, I added up eight months so far this year I've been in the hospital. Eight months in 2018. I remember sitting in the hospital room with you in January and uh, Meghan Markle and Harry had just gotten engaged and we're like, we should go to the wedding. I totally had it in my head. I'm like, we're going to be there. That's the goal. Best lean out of the hospital so we can go to London. And I don't think you ever would have dreamed you would still have been in the hospital in May. Let alone like the rest of the year. Like weeks later. Totally. Yeah. And you went through a lot. So in addition to the lung issues, it's the pancreas was causing you a lot of yeah. trouble. And then over the summer is really when things dramatically changed. Tell me about that really scary time. So um, I had been in the hospital January, February, March, half of April. I got to go home for a week. And then I ended up having another bout of pneumonia. And while I was there... Um, they also found out that I had gallstones, so they removed my gallbladder. Then I was able to be home for a couple of weeks, and um, they had decided that a lot of my lung problems this year was due to GERD, and they decided to do a surgery called Nissen fundiplication, and that's where they take your stomach and they wrap it around your esophagus <clears throat> to um, close the the esophagus a little bit more so that you don't get that um, acid reflux coming up because they were afraid that the acid was being breathed in at night and that that was causing more damage to my lungs. So they had decided to do this surgery and it's pretty intense surgery, not a very easy recovery, but they knew it would be worth it in the end. So I got the surgery. It was really hard, one of the hardest recoveries I've ever had. And you were um, already in a lot of pain leading up. Yeah. So, yeah. like, you know real pain. Yeah. So for you to say that, <laughs> that had to be really significant. It really was. It was yeah. It was a lot of pain, and I couldn't eat more than a, an ounce or two. Um, and I couldn't, like, if I drank two ounces of water, I couldn't eat anything after that because my stomach was so stretched. It felt like it was going to explode. So I wasn't able to get in the calorie count that they wanted. Um, So after a month of being in the hospital and only getting about 150 calories a day, they had decided that I needed to um, get a feeding tube placed. So um, because of that surgery, they decided that it needed to be a surgically placed GJ tube. And that's where um, they go into your stomach um, through the outside 
stomach wall, and then they put another tube down your jejunum into your small intestine so that um, if I had pancreatitis that I could get feedings through the jejunum and pass by the pancreas. So everything sounded great. I felt really good about my decision and um, said my goodbyes to everybody. My husband was out of town and it was just my mom and my son, my 10-year-old there. <clears throat> and when I came out of surgery, um, they had put me back in my room and I wasn't totally awake yet. And um, I felt this really, really warm feeling that um, like arms holding me. I felt like I could be, I could have the choice to either um, stay on earth or, or go and leave my body. And it really was, I knew that if I decided to let go, that I would be able to um, avoid being at the hospital and that I would not have to deal with that pain anymore. But um, my mom and my son, they didn't know exactly how bad everything was and they just knew that I should wake up. And um, my mom was trying to talk to a nurse and trying to get them to do something and check my vitals and my little boy um, just kept squeezing my hand. And I wasn't very aware of what was going on, but I could feel him squeezing my hand. And while you're given this choice. Yeah. And you told me that, like, during that time, like, you literally felt free of pain. And that was the first time it was in just, however long. It was so peaceful. Right. It was so beautiful. And I didn't hear a voice or see a white light or anything, but yeah. it was just that comfort. Right. That immense comfort and love. But I could feel my son's hand, and he kept saying, Mom, are you there? And he was asking me questions and trying to get me to wake up. And I knew that if I decided to let go, that he would be scared, and I didn't want him to be scared. And so you chose the so other. I, you chose to... I chose to stay. And what happened immediately once you felt that decision being made? Like, you made that decision, and then what happened? The very second I decided to stay, it was... It was like a window shut, like it wasn't a choice anymore that um, I was here and, and I felt everything. I felt every mm. bit of pain that had been released before. And, <clears throat> and that was when um, all the nurses and doctors started getting to work and they knew there was something wrong. They were giving me fluids, trying to get my blood pressure back up because it was basically non-existent. And my mom said that my lips were white and I was not moving, not talking. And um, they took me down to, and it's crazy because in my head, I was saying things like, I think there's something wrong. My stomach really hurts. And mm -hmm. um, I thought I was talking to them. But when I asked my, my son later, he said, oh no, you didn't say anything. Every once in a while, you'd say, I think, I think, oh. and then just fall back asleep. And so I was not in a good good place right then. So they took me down to the CT and found out that I had a major internal bleed and ran my 
gurney to the ICU. And I remember thinking, wow, this is just like ER. They really do run people (laughs) through the hospital. This is crazy. I feel pretty important. (laughs) Finally, somebody's listening to me. I just thought it was interesting. I was like, wow. Guys, this is why I love Lena. Here, like, you just heard what just happened, like, hours prior to this, you know, event, and she's, like, aware that she's being rushed through, like, Grey's Anatomy. I like Grey's Anatomy. Yeah, yeah, that too. Uh (laughs) Oh, my gosh. And so they found that internal bleed. And so Mm -hmm. once they were able to determine that, they were able to kind of correct, but... Yeah, um, I had to have a couple of blood transfusions, and I was in the ICU for two weeks. And while I was there, they were just trying to get my, um, just my body to stop from going into shock. I had infections and um, really went through a lot. But I didn't realize how severe everything was until a few weeks later when I started feeling better and being on the mend. And it kind of hit me one day like, wow, I almost died. Yeah. Like... I don't know. It just, it really gave me a different perspective and made me feel like there is so much life to live and I can't take this opportunity for granted. Yeah. See what I mean? Isn't Lena truly extraordinary? Golly, I know that you're thinking, I wish there was something that I could do, right? That's what you're thinking. Well, there is. I'm organizing a fundraiser to help Lena's family kind of live out a -a Make-A-Wish Foundation type dream. They don't have those for adults. What's up with that? But their lifelong dream has been to go on a Disney cruise. And you'll hear more about their love for Disney later in the episode. But I wanted to point you over to my Instagram at Everyday Extraordinary Podcast or my handle, my regular handle at JessicaDalkwas3. There's a link in my profile in both places so that you can learn more about these breathe necklaces. They're beautiful bar sterling silver necklaces that say the word breathe on it. Something that we often take for granted, but Lena struggles to do on a daily basis with her cystic fibrosis. By purchasing a $50 necklace, you can donate $30 to this fund that I'm started for Lena to raise money to send her family on a Disney cruise. It's something they have dreamed about their entire life. And now as they're preparing for their lung transplant and everything, you know, financially it's tough, but we can help support them. So if you'd like to buy a Breathe necklace, go over to my Instagram, Everyday Extraordinary Podcast on Instagram. Click on the link there. You can find out more about ordering. Buy one for you. Buy one for your sisters, your mom, your friends, somebody else with cystic fibrosis, and spread the word. Let's earn enough money to send them on their dream cruise. Ooh. Okay, let's get back to the rest of my conversation with Lena. Like, we're all given a choice every day whether to, like, show up, you know? And so many days, I mean, I can think of many days where I, like, waste opportunities to, to like, make the most of my day and my life and my motherhood. And, you know, I just, I just get lazy and I take it for granted. And, you know, I'm sure there's days, too, where you kind of fall back into that because it's, like, a lot of energy to, like, try really hard yeah. every day. It is. There's a lot of days where I but just want to sleep. Still, or... yeah. Yeah. When you've gone through something like that or even just knowing <clears throat> you and watching this, it just alters everything. And so what would you tell somebody that feels really like trapped by their circumstances right now. You know, maybe it's things like chronic illness that they can't do a lot about. Like they're doing their part, but it's not going anywhere. And it's terrible. 
or maybe it's a divorce or maybe it's a loss, you know, a job loss, a move, mm-hmm. whatever. Like people are going through stuff all the time. What would you tell somebody that's really struggling to deal with whatever they're dealing with today? Wow, that's a big question. I know. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that's okay. Um, you know, I, I keep going back to the first time that this new perspective kind of hit me. And it was my husband called me. He's home with the kids, super stressed out. I mean, he's trying to deal with um, running the household and the kids and the sports and everything. And all the while knowing that his wife is in the hospital and dealing with all of that. And he was really stressed out. And he called me and he was like, and now I have to do the stupid dishes. And he was so upset. And all I could think at that point was, man, I would love to do the dishes right now. Mm. I just wish that I could turn on some music and lose myself in doing kitchen work, which is something that I had complained about all the time before this point. And that, that was when it hit me. Wow. Everything that we get to do on this earth is a blessing. And even your language, like I get to do this. And when you talked about your husband's service, like we were able to serve in this way. That's really intentional language instead of like, we're doing this or we have to do this or I need to need to do the dishes saying like I get the I get to do it you don't have to be like this is the ultimate privilege doing the dishes <laughs> but but to really realize like there's people that that choose the other way mm-hmm. in, in all that pain there's people that don't have the choice at all yeah um or who can't stand up it just makes you think it does for sure and of course being in the hospital like as horrible and bad as my situation was, there's always somebody that's worse off. Yeah. There's always somebody that is going to be in the hospital for the rest of the year or doesn't even get to enjoy this beautiful life anymore mm-hmm. or a family that's struggling with impossible decisions or, I mean, there's always a worse situation. And to be able to look at the opposite and how amazing everything is and how I get to have opportunities to make friendships and I don't know I still get to go outside and enjoy the beautiful air and I don't know there's just so many wonderful things and it's I know it's really hard to when you're in a hard situation it's really easy to only see the situation in front of you but you have to look past it Like, I don't know. I mean, I sat in a hospital bed for eight months and... Away from your kids. Away from my kids. Three hours Mm -hmm. away from your kids for most of that time. That had had to kill you. But then also at the same time, like, you're in so much pain. Did it even really register too? That's the funny thing. When you're really, really sick, you're not thinking about anything. You're just surviving the hour, you know. But... The second I started feeling better, that was when it got really hard. Yeah. And it's because you, your mind is with it and you're feeling well enough that you want to go do things and you can't, yeah. that it gets frustrating. But I had to, I mean, I had the most amazing doctors and nurses and respiratory therapists and car and transporters and everybody in the hospital that made my stay, I don't know, wonderful. Yeah. 
It sounds like it's a five-star resort, Lena. You deserve a vacation if you think that's really, uh, yeah, the the end of uh, the vacation of your dreams. But we got to get you on a vacation. Um, One thing that really stands out as truly extraordinary about you is not just the circumstances you're enduring, but the attitude with which. And I'm sure people are hearing that in your voice. I mean, you're literally like glowing and beaming as you speak about this experience and your appreciation for life. I mean, it just, it just radiates from you. And from the first time that I met you, um, I felt that from you. And while you were in the hospital, the warmth you showed every nurse and doctor that walked in and then he, the doctor walk out and you'd be like, that guy's an idiot. Like he's been so rude (laughs) to me, but you, but like in his presence, you were so kind and appreciative and generous and to, to use your energy that way, even while in such pain and you had to be so frustrated. I mean, it just, it, that is extraordinary to me. It just blows my mind and I want to be more <laughs> like you, Lena. So now you're on a road to a lung transplant. Yeah. So while I was in the hospital, my lungs crashed about 30% lung function. And that's when they really start, I mean, there's a lot of different factors going into a lung transplant, but um, they look at your trends and how quickly you're declining. And that was where I qualified um, <clears throat> to to start going to the transplant clinic. And, um, but also I was on oxygen and um, had been 30% less than I was before, which was about 30% lung function. So um, I started doing all of the pre-transplant workups, and that includes um, lots of labs, and um, they had to do an echocardiogram where they found um, a blood clot in my heart, so then I had to get that treated. I don't know if I even told you that part. That. Yeah. It was kind you of crazy. Not anything else? Stop the madness! <laughs> Golly, it was so funny though. The doctor said, um, "Well, at least it's on your right side." And I was what? like, "Oh, what does that mean?" And he said, "Well, if it's on the left, the blood clot could go to your heart or to your brain." And I said, "Well, what happens if it's on your right?" And he said, "Well, it would go to your lungs." And I was like, "Aren't both of those oh, this is bad ideas?" Very much better. <laughs> I don't know, but he was really excited. It was on the right side, and we got well, it treated, and we'll it just, was fine. We'll take his word for it. That yeah. that's a good thing. <laughs> but um, but then the hardest part was um, you have to go through an eight-hour education program with your family and the people that are going going to be um, taking care of you when you're um, post transplant. Mm-hmm. And at the time, at first, when I first had my interview with them, they said, and do you have a caretaker? And I said, yeah, of course I do. And they said, okay. And then they said, so who is going to be taking three months out of their life to take care of you 24-7? And I went, wait, like, well, my husband will come home after work and take care of me and they said oh no no you cannot be alone for three months post-transplant so um, my family is incredible and they rallied and um, my mom my sister and my husband decided that the three of them would take turns and kind of rotate um, taking time off of work and spending that time to take care of me so the three of them my my mom came all the way from utah and my sister um 
happens to live in San Diego, so that worked out, but my husband had to drive down just to go to this eight-hour education, and um, usually you go to the clinic to do it, but because I was admitted, the um, nurse doing the class came to my room, so we all piled in and had to do this really extensive class, and I, I thought it was going to be, I don't know, just all the little... I don't know, make sure that she's eating right. I don't know. Mm-hmm, I don't know what mm-hmm. they what I thought it was gonna be, but it really put a lot of perspective on what a huge deal transplants are. You basically lose your entire immune system. They have to suppress it so that you don't reject the new lungs. And for a lung transplant or for CF, they have to do a double lung transplant. And um, they have to do like, I guess because, okay, so I found out that the only, the reason why lung transplants are so complicated is because it's the only organ that is exposed to the outside world. Hmm. All of the other organs are in their own little special bubble, and but the lungs are constantly being affected by the environment. So that's why it's a very low... Um, life expectancy after lung transplant as opposed to kidney or liver, um, whatever, or even And this is a cadaver donor, not a living donor. Yes. Okay, because my last guest, Jen Sabin, sadly, mm -hmm. she had a living donor transplant, but there's different circumstances. They don't do that anymore. Okay. Um, They used to, but now they only do um, double lung cadaver transplants. Okay, I didn't know that. Because, yeah, I guess... If you take out both lungs, then you won't have cystic fibrosis in your lungs anymore. You'll mm-hmm. still have it in your sinuses or your stomach or whatever, but you won't have it in your lungs. Got it. So they Got decided it. for CF that's the best way to do it. I see. Okay. Yeah. So you go through that eight-hour class, and, like, what's yeah. the timeline? Like, what can you expect now? Um. So after the class... That was when they um, they had a couple of other things that they had to get in order, but there was a point in the hospital where I got worse, and then that disqualifies you from... Mm. I So I wasn't on the list list. I was on like a pre-list or whatever, <laughs> where they're um, getting all of their ducks in a row, I sure. guess, to, to list you. Because once you're listed, it's like a big, huge deal. You're on this national list. And um, I guess to be listed, there's a couple of really invasive procedures that they have to do. Okay. So they always save that for the very end. So I was on this like pre-list. Um, and I w- there was a point where I was too bad to be on the pre-list. And then a point where I was too good to be on the pre-list um, right before I got my feeding tube placed my lungs were actually doing pretty well but then of course afterwards I um, took a dive and then kind of back up and I've been kind of like off and on hmm. this weird little pre-list but then um, thank heavens I've started to do a little bit better and so they have me what they call on the back burner so I'll be on the back burner for a couple of months, and then if I don't get any worse, then they will. Um, I'll have to do the whole procedure all over again. Oh wow! Yeah, it's kind of crazy. But yeah. in order to, I mean, there's so many things that have to be 
done and you have to like know exactly who's going to take care of you where are you going to get the money to support yourself while your family is not working to take care of you I mean there's just so many different things that have to be put in place so I feel like um I feel really thankful that I have a little more time to sort of get my affairs in order so to speak sure yeah and I guess this is probably where we make the plug for be an organ donor yes please do sweet wonderful people that are in need of life you can offer that to them in the most selfless way possible and it's really no skin off your nose you know at that point eight eight people can be saved per 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 person wow Mm -hmm. be an organ donor eight organs yeah yeah be an organ donor and make yourself as healthy as possible you know just like be a good steward of your body and oh my gosh I'm an organ donor. I am. And I feel like it's the least Thank I can you do. That. You know, it's like yeah. the sticker on your license. And Well, it's just... and, and make sure that you tell your families okay. what your wishes are. We okay. found out that even if you have the donor sticker on your ID, your family can turn it down. Oh, okay. So if your family said, well, I didn't know that they wanted to be a donor. Um, I don't feel comfortable with this. Sure. They ultimately veto it. Can you do certain organs and not others? Um, I bet you could if you okay. had if you have it in writing. Okay. Yeah. I'm all in, but I'm yeah. just curious. <laughs> like, came to my mind. Like, yeah, you no, know what that's I mean. a good question. If somebody has reservations, sure about certain things. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Gosh, you're amazing. Thank you for sharing this very personal story, and I hope this will serve as a timestamp for you and for your family. Just how incredible you are, and how much you have. I mean, you've just chosen life, like literally, figuratively, and I am better for knowing you. I am. I'm about to move, and I'm so, so sad, but I'm not really going that far, and I'm I'm here for you always. And, Thank um, you. Some, something that I've learned from ex- interviewing extraordinary people is that they're really clear on their purpose in life, like why they are doing this life and why they're trying so hard to be their best selves and to show up. What would you say your purpose is? Wow. Mm-hmm. That is something I've been trying to figure out for myself, I guess. Because um, having this second shot up life, um, I I feel like I just want to be able to serve as many people as I can. I want to be able to serve my husband and my kids, my family, my community. I feel like as I've been so blessed and have been given such amazing support from my friends and family and there's no way I could ever repay any anything that anybody's done for me but um, I can I can pass that love along and do something for somebody else and we might not be able to like save the whole world or help everyone in the whole world but Um, I heard a quote that said, um, you might not be able to change the world, but by doing something kind for somebody else, that could mean the world to someone. Mm. And I just feel like, I don't know, that's what, that's what we should all be doing. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That's a good one. That's a good one. And you're doing it. You're doing it. What makes you smile? 
you guys will need to go to extraordinarymomspodcast.com and there'll be pictures of Lena and her family and you'll be able to see her beautiful smile firsthand. <laughs> but what's one thing that makes you smile, Lena? Oh, gosh. The beach. Disneyland. Yeah. Oh, Di- oh, she's a Disney person, <laughs> everybody. You literally got out of the hospital, and you went on your <clears throat> way home, didn't you, one time? Yeah. <laughs> you are nuts. I did. And, um, oh, man, that must have been April. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I had my cousin. She picked me up from the hospital and dropped me off to meet my family at Disneyland. <laughs> and I had a mask and gloves and my oxygen tank and my husband pushed me in a wheelchair and yeah the happiest place on earth yeah I figure if I'm not walking I might as well not walk and hang out at Disneyland absolutely absolutely my goal on this podcast is for you to know how extraordinary you truly are and for the people listening to see as they go about their day-to-day life how extraordinary they are like we all have, like we're children yeah. of God. We are created in this time and place for a very specific reason. And that is extraordinary. So I want you to own that. And I want you to tell me one thing that makes you extraordinary. Hmm. I guess my... My positivity. I feel like um, I am able to see the silver lining in a lot of things, and I know that is sometimes hard for people. So I, I'm uh, well aware that it's a blessing and a gift. Yeah. You didn't choose CF, but you're choosing how to walk it and how to live through this. Yeah. You're choosing that. Lena, I'm so grateful. You are one of the most extraordinary people that I know. I'm so glad you're here for my first episode of Everyday Extraordinary for the new year. Don't be in the hospital as much this year. That would be really great. But <laughs> That's my plan. <laughs> we're all here for you, loving you, praying for you. And I know the listeners will be so encouraged and inspired to live their best life today because of you. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing. Huh. <sighs> As I edited that episode back, I was transported back to sitting across from Lena in my room and I had a smile plastered on my face because she had a smile plastered on her face. And I just love talking about living life to the fullest and nobody does that better than Lena in my book. She's extraordinary. Do you hear the joy she radiates? Do you hear the smile through her words? What would you have done if you were faced with that choice to live or to go knowing the pain that was on the other side of choosing to live? What would you choose? And every day since she's made that choice, she has really made it a priority to live life to its fullest and to share love and light and encourage others. Even since we had that uh, recording about a month ago, she has been in the hospital for about a week since um, with, she cracked a rib, um, coughing, and then she got pneumonia, I think it was rhinovirus, and the flu maybe, all three at the same time? Yeah. So they admitted her, Um, but thankfully she was released a few days before Christmas and hopefully will stay home for Christmas this year. So here is where you come in. We are doing a fundraising blitz. Go over to Everyday Extraordinary Podcast on Instagram. 
click the link in my bio. That link will send you over to a Google form where you can order a beautiful breathe necklace for $50 to support Lena's family. $30 of that purchase will go directly to either supporting Lena and sending their family on the cruise, or if there's excess funds, which I hope enough of you will buy that there will be excess funds, it will go into the fund that will support them for medical costs related to the lung transplant. So every dollar will definitely still support Lena's family in one way or another, whether it's sending them on this dream trip or if it will just support them in their medical costs, which there are a lot of them. So buy one for yourself, buy one for your sister, your mom, everybody you know. If you'll share the link on Facebook, on Instagram, text people that you know. If you know anybody that has cystic fibrosis, send them the link or buy them a necklace and say, hey, I'm standing with you as well. I'm seeing a lot of names that I don't know popping up on that form ordering and I'll get a little note that says, hey, my daughter has cystic fibrosis or I am a mom with cystic fibrosis as well and I want to stand with Lena. Let's all live with more intention in Lena's honor. Let's rally and let's wear these necklaces with pride to support Lena as she continues down this amazing, inspiring road. We are with you, Lena. We love you. Okay, now's your part. Go click on that link. And if you don't want a necklace but you want to donate, you can still PayPal me and just put Lena in the subject and we'll make that happen for you. Okay? Welcome back, Everyday Extraordinary. It is a pleasure to be on this podcast with you and I can't wait for you to hear even more extraordinary people in the new year. So, Enjoy your new year. The next episode will be coming out that first week of January, and I can't wait to bring more stories to you. So have a great day, everybody, and we'll see you next week for another episode with someone else that is truly extraordinary. Bye.